You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. The kick is on its way. It is... Be in a position to potentially trade for really good players is a very, very good starting point. The Blue Jays have definitely forced themselves into the consideration. I will maybe cry on the air. Like, I've never, never cried on the air, but I might cry on the air. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Breath. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios. Here's Jason Bruff to tell you more. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Lots to get into on a Tuesday. Guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski, our uh, NHL insider from ESPN, is going to join us. He's also going to double as our New Jersey Devils insider today because the Canucks take on the Devils at 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Uh, Wish will join us at 6.30. 7 o'clock, old friend Chris Peters. He is the, look at this fancy title. Senior content creator. Ooh, senior content creator. Content creator. They used to call them writers. That's right. Now they call them senior content creators. Because I guess he's got to write. He's got to probably have a podcast. He's got to do some video. It's all content. He does it for flow hockey. He's going to join us. He is a uh, NHL prospects expert. So we'll talk to him about the upcoming World Juniors, which Canucks might feature, which Canucks may not feature. Yeah, Hunter Briskevich uh, will not be part of the uh, American World Junior team and Adog was absolutely again again Adog has, my mind has become media. he's become so angry he used to be such an innocent character and then he joins up with us he's just, he's just angry yeah, about what you it turn me into like did you can you name one other defenseman on the American World Junior team nope yeah, exactly. Don't care. And yet you're still very upset that 100 percent But I did do the, the I did do the research at the very least to make sure I wasn't losing my mind and I did see all the point totals of all the D-men that made the roster and I also used Are the you two- comparing point totals like in and I also, college to No, but I also CHL? used the I, wait, I also used the 2 to 1 metric that one guy brought up like, well, uh, it's much harder to score in college. And okay, even if that is true mm-hmm. and it's like 2 to 1 ratio. Point, uh, points everything in hockey. Yeah, and another guy backed me up. <laughs> another guy backed me up with the analytics of it. There is an analytical system that actually breaks down the difficulties of the two systems and even with that he would still be the points leader of the D-man that made it. I okay, like it. Well, even we'll talk, with that, we'll talk to Chris Peters. So the fact about, that he didn't make it is very disappointing. Is, well, it's disappointing for sure. Political. <laughs> Andy did his own research. It's all, you, Andy. all politics, man. Uh, so seven o'clock. Chris Peters is going to join us to talk about that. Seven thirty. Canadian Soccer Hall of Famer Randy Hermas is going to join the program. Uh, former teammate of Christine Sinclair on Christine Sinclair Night at Christine Sinclair Place. It's gonna, be a, it's gonna be a busy night downtown. It is gonna be. I a hope busy it doesn't night rain like it did last night. That was oh, crazy. <laughs> Everything flooded last, last night. Last night, like, entire day. Yeah, yeah. just torrential. Last Pineapple night. Express. It, at least it was warm out. It was suns out, yeah, out for me. Was I was wearing flooding. a tank top. There was no sun out. I opened oh, the door to my apartment and it's like <laughs> dripping. I'm like, oh, that's good. This, is, this feels safe. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Randy Hermes is going to join the program at 7.30. Canada takes on the Australians in Christine Sinclair's final match with the women's national team. She'll join us at 7.30 to talk about that. 8 o'clock, another person that'll be downtown tonight, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. He'll be on the call when the Canucks take on the Devils at 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. So... Working in reverse, guest list, 8 o'clock, it's Batch, 7.30, Randy Hermes, 7 o'clock, Chris Peters, 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? 
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. Day off for the Canucks yesterday, so let's talk bog, shall we? The NHL Board of Governors meetings, commonly known as the bog, mostly just to me, uh, was underway in Seattle yesterday. Uh, Big news, the biggest story coming from day one of the meetings is the salary cap. It's going up 5%. Woo! From the uh, current 83.5 million, uh, it's now going to be at 87.65 million if you want to get down to the very last dollar. That's pretty huge, though. Sidney Crosby. You might actually see some trades this offseason. Maybe. All involving Patrick Alvin and the Vancouver Canucks. For more on this, let's go to the audio now. Elliot Friedman from Seattle talking about the rise in the salary cap. Now, when the League and the Players Association redid their parts of their CBA during the COVID year, they agreed that if everything that the players owed to the owners was completed and paid back this season, the cap could go up 5%. That's happened, so we are expecting the cap to go up 5% next season, which is $87.675 million. Now, someone said, don't use that number exactly, because you never know what could occur, but that is the kind of figure, $87.675 million in that area is what the cap is going to be next year. So the cap Point is six seven five. I screwed it up. The cap is currently at $83.5 million, so we're talking about um, a bump of just over $4 million. And the Canucks are going to need all the space they can get. Uh, and don't forget, OEL has a dead cap hit around $2.5 million next season. And the Canucks are going to hope the cap keeps going up after next season because that bumps up to almost $5 million in the following two seasons. The Canucks also have to keep improving their team. And everyone talks about the raises coming for Petey and Hronik, and those are going to be um, significant. The Canucks also have a bunch of pending UFAs in Nikita Zadorov, who they just acquired, Ian Cole, who I'm sure a lot of Canucks fans would like them to keep, Dakota Joshua, Teddy Bluger, Sam Lafferty, who's who's been a nice addition for the Canucks. Uh, it's not like the Canucks are going to have to break the bank for any of those guys. Well, maybe Zadorov, but certainly... None of them are going to deserve to make less than they're currently getting. Casey DeSmith is a pending UFA as well. We'll see how the Canucks goaltending situation, what it looks like by then. Uh, now, the Canucks won't won't have Tyler Myers at $6 million next season, and I still expect them to try and move contracts like the one below Connor Garland. I also frankly wonder about Kuzmenko at this point. Yep. Is he considered a core piece of the team going forward. If the coach doesn't like him, if the coach doesn't trust him, that's a problem. But I think that's getting ahead of ourselves right now. There's still a lot of season left to see if Kuzmenko can earn Tockett's trust. But overall, the Canucks and the NHL, more than anything, needs this cap to go up. The NHL needs it to go up just for it to give us slightly. Did you hear the excitement in A-Dog's voice? Oh, that's a lot of money that it's going to go up. Maybe there are actually going to be some trades. No, free agency will actually be, you know, fun. I think free agency is forever dead, unfortunately. Well, just you might see the a way little to, bit more movement. Yeah, okay. but, but well, you need players the, to go to free yeah, agency. Yeah, you need players like to you get need there. The stars well, I'm sorry, not even there. free agency. When yeah. I say free agency, I also just mean trades in general, not just, right. not I think, just UFAs. I think the way the system currently works is free agency is always going to be that sort of mid-tier thing. I think the really interesting part is going to be trades. Yeah, that's, that's what, what, that's, that's like what to, I mean. That's what people like to see, and that's what people want to see. I want teams to do big NBA-style trades. I want them to go nuts. That's going to be difficult under like a hard cap and the way that things are going, because it's not a big enough of a jump to make a monster blockbuster deal, especially in season. But it's and look, any progress at this point be fun though. is good because well, I mean, I mentioned this yesterday. If I got the numbers right, there's been it's either eight or nine trades that have gone on in the NHL across the league since training camps opened, and the Canucks are responsible for five of them. Like, is that a normal thing mm-hmm. for a league to have one team? And to be quite honest, a team that isn't exactly flush with cap space, but it's just seemingly more determined than anybody else to make these moves. And everyone else is sitting back. And I think you saw in two instances, Edmonton and Minnesota ended up firing their coach, not necessarily because they wanted to, but Mm -hmm. there was no other change on the horizon. There was nothing that they could do roster-wise because they were so pressed up against the cap. Uh, Tonight's opponent for the Vancouver Canucks, the New Jersey Devils. So there's going to be a lot of Hughes talk. Uh, Luke Hughes 
actually runs the power play now for the New Jersey Devils. He coaches it. Jack probably runs it, but Luke Hughes is the defenseman out there because Dougie Hamilton is out indefinitely, so we're going to see a lot of Jack Hughes, Luke Hughes, and for your Vancouver Canucks, Quinn Hughes. Very good, I don't even know if it's funny, more concerning, a very good power play is coming into town Right when the Canucks PK is under the microscope again, we kind of stopped talking about the PK as the season started because it looked improved and the Canucks were winning and there were there were better things and more exciting things to talk about than the penalty kill. But Rick Tockett was asked about the PK yesterday and he admitted that there are some things going wrong with this penalty kill. Um, I'm sure they're missing a guy like Carson Soucy and... It might take a little while for Nikita Zdorov to uh, get used to how the Canucks kill penalties, but the thing with the PK is, is yes, it's better than last season, but that was a low bar yep. to get over. It was horrible last season. Um, it's still mediocre. Let's call it mediocre at best. And one of the things that Rick Tocca was saying yesterday is um, it's not so much the structure of the PK, it's when there's a loose puck, and even when the Canucks have possession of the puck, they're not getting it out. And he said, I don't know what the analytics say, but we're one of the worst teams when it comes to clears. When we get a puck on our stick, we're not getting it out. And oddly enough, in my beer league game the other day, I experienced that because I had a puck on my stick, and we were under pressure, and I tried to Yurke Luma yet. Remember when he would just like use the back end and just like f- fling just it as, as high as you could possibly like it would hit like the roof of the Pacific Coliseum and go high. Mine went about four inches off the ice right to the point, man. So and did they score? No, 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 no. We held on. Nice. We held on. But Brooks uh, like, watch this. <laughs> but uh, you should know not to your kill, boys. Don't your kill. It. But my Don't teammate Billy, shout out to my teammate Billy. I heard your complaints about my poor clearance, and I noted them. He will never do it again. Now, <laughs> thanks in large part to you. Um, but Nikita Zadorov, one of the good things about him, according to Rick Tockett, is that he's really good. Clearing the puck, he said uh, he had that one puck and he just drilled it down the ice, and that was nice to see. Yeah, you need strength, you need to be hard on your stick, and there's a little bit of technique to it too, right? Um, but so we'll listen. We'll see how it goes tonight against a very good power play. Not just very good, good, Jason. Yeah, the best the in the best, league. And you know who's the best? The, in the you league. know who coaches that power play? Travis Green. Is he in charge of the power play? He's in charge That's of the right. power play. It's the return of Greener tonight. Yeah, well, I, I actually. Trance will be so happy. I am remiss <laughs> in the notes. I didn't even mention that Travis Green makes his return to Vancouver tonight. Uh, I assume that there will be some sort of video tribute for the former head coach who is now running the NHL's most effective power play. Devils come in to tonight's action, clicking at 36%. Now. We might see a lot of power play goals both ways because, like the Vancouver Canucks, the New Jersey Devils don't have an especially good penalty kill. And they're mm-hmm. also going to be without star defenseman Dougie Hamilton, who's going to miss a ton of time with his injury. And, I mean, if you look at the numbers, and I said this yesterday when we were talking about the next few opponents, although Andre Vasilevsky bounced back last night for Tampa Bay, um, this is an opportunity to go up against teams that haven't had a lot of success keeping the puck out of the back of their net, yeah. don't have really strong goaltending, and it, we could see some elevated goal totals over the next three games or so. Uh, you want to run into some of the stuff that happened last night in the National Hockey League? Because there were a How lot of big about stories. those Arizona Coyotes? I don't even know what to say at this point anymore. I, if you haven't been paying attention... Michael Carcone, is the word juggernaut yeah. comes to mind. 12 goals? Wagon? Michael Carcone has 12 goals. He plays like nine minutes a night. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, his goals per 60... He's like, coach, I think I should be playing more. Probably at this point. He scored again last night. So here's the story on the Arizona Coyotes in case you have not been paying attention. They had a little bit of a schedule quirk lately because their last six opponents were... The Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the St. Louis Blues, and the Washington Capitals. They beat all of them. Those are the reigning Stanley Cup champions, just so we're clear. So Washington in 2018, St. Louis in 2019, Tampa Bay in 2020 and 2021, Colorado in 22, Vegas in 2023. They did it in style last night. The Coyotes did 6-0 against the Capitals. 
Hey, are we going to start? Are we going to start talking about whether or not Ovi's actually going to break this record? So the He's Capitals got, are in trouble. Yeah, and Ovi's got what five goals? Yeah, and uh, uh, if Jenny Kuznetsov was a healthy scratch yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, and it kind of flew under the radar. Uh, head coach Spencer Carberry, the rookie head coach, said that it was a a mental reset for Kuznetsov, mm-hmm. who has not been good this year. The very strange thing about the Capitals is if you were to tell me like. Kuznetsov's having issues and is a healthy scratch. Ovi's only got five goals. They shut down Nicholas Backstrom from the year. I'd figured they'd be the dead last team in the Eastern <laughs> Conference, but they're not. They're kind of hanging around the fringes of the playoff chase. But the real story here is the Arizona Coyotes, who, and I'll ask Wyshynski this later because I think the answer is no, but is this team at least somewhat for real? Because this stretch they're they've gone on. They're, they're more for real than... Well, obviously, like when Anaheim got off to that start, I was like, the, the Anaheim's not sticking around. But I think the Coyotes are more for real than a team like that. Now, Laddie, we need to bring you into the fold here because Connor Ingram, who we have talked about on this show before, is turning him into one of the best stories in the National Hockey League this season. The NHL's reigning player of the week. I believe he's got three shutouts over this five-game swing where they've gone and beat all these defending Stanley Cup champions. Um he just kind of landed in their lap after bouncing around. Was it sort of one of those things that, Andy, I know you know him as well from your time in Camelot, mm-hmm. so I want to say? Ingram, yeah, I covered him for three years there, yeah. Is this a case of just a talented guy finding a spot, or is this completely off the radar? Like, I can't believe he's doing this at this No, time. it was a guy that I, like I said last show, that he, he got passed over in his initial draft year, ended up getting taken in the third round in his second uh, chance in the draft. Pro- I thought he should have been drafted in that first year. Uh, he's always been a high potential guy, but it's been the the off the ice stuff that has sort of kept teams away. And he's bounced around. He spent time in this, the player uh, substance abuse program. So right. he's had an up and down life really up to this point. But now he's in his prime years. He's with a stable organization, it seems like for him. And now he's just running with it. And I, I'm not totally surprised. Maybe to this level, I'm a bit surprised. Right. 930 save percentage. But man, it's a, it's a great story. So the Coyotes are doing well. The Kraken are not. They lost again last night. Uh, and they were down early in Montreal against a pretty bad Habs team. And Jared McCann, after the game, was saying our first period was embarrassing. The Kraken have now lost five straight and that goes back to that loss to the Canucks where the Canucks dominated them in the third period. And I know, obviously, we were going to focus on the Canucks side of that. What a great period for the Canucks on the road. They dominate the Seattle Kraken. How about from the Kraken perspective? Like That was a pathetic performance for them in the third period. And ever since then, well, they lost that game. And ever since then, they have not won since then. And... If you look at where they are in the standings, they're 8, 12, and 6. They got 22 points. So, I mean, they're 11 points back of the Vancouver Canucks, and they played one more game. Their goal differential is minus 22. 92 goals against this year. They I think there's a ton of goals. I think there's only two other teams with a worse goal differential than the Seattle Kraken. One is Chicago, and the other is San Jose. So the Kraken are probably done. They're done. I think you can count them out. And when you think about the teams that the Canucks were going to come into this season and be like, well, you know, we're going to compete with them in our division. Uh, Edmonton, who I'm not counting out yet, but they had a horrendous start. They're, they're, the Oilers are still three points behind the Kraken, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've got, they got a, a ton long, of games in hand, though. Only, yeah, they've got four games in hand on, on the Kraken. So, and they've won four in a row. They look better. You know, I, I uh, of the teams that started out badly, they're definitely the one that you, you're still watching. But, you know, Calgary got off to a bad start, and I don't think anyone was particularly impressed with them against the Canucks the other night when they had a home game and a chance to get a big win there. They're 10, 11, and 3. They're not completely out of it, but, you know, I I, I think all three of those teams, right, we, we were thinking, oh, okay, well, the Oilers are probably going to be, you know, in the top three in the division, but the Kraken and the Flames could be a team that the Canucks are battling with for a playoff spot and a great start by the Canucks combined with bad starts for the Kraken and the Flames have only helped the Canucks' chances of making the playoffs. Yeah, and don't forget, the Kraken weren't didn't just squeak into the playoffs last year. That was a 100-point team. They went to Game 7 of the second round of the playoffs. They were... Everything looked, especially with how the team was built, that they would be... Maybe they overachieved a little bit last year, but they would come back and be a 
pretty much a carbon copy of last year's team, at least in terms of roster construction, but it's not going that way. Uh, some other quick news and scores from around the league last night. Laurent Boissois, season-high 42 saves. The Jets beat the Canes 2-1 uh, in Winnipeg yesterday, so the Canes get goalied. They'll be in town soon, so it's worth paying attention fancy to Fancy uniforms for the Jets in that one. Very fancy, yes, that's right. Um, we need and Pittsburgh Penguins because Pittsburgh just can't seem to get things rolling this season. And if we want to talk about special teams, they have the worst power play in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken. Which is crazy considering the talent they've got out there. And they just brought in Eric Carlson. Like, Mm. I don't know how you bring him in and your power play somehow gets worse. Plus one, five on four. They've yeah, you almost, up they've almost conceded yesterday. more than they've scored five on four. Is Carlson now running the power play like Latang's not not on it anymore? I'm not sure what the runout is right now. To be dead honest, we'll talk to Wish about that. He'll know. But yeah, they can't get going. And meanwhile, Philly's hanging in there, and their underlying numbers are actually pretty good. This is not the case of a team that's just getting unbelievable goaltending and hanging in there. Um, you got to think that Torts is a coach of the year candidate at this point, with given the expectations for the Flyers. And how it's started for them. A long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a lot of competition to make the playoffs in in the East. Um, but uh, Philly looks pretty good. And the Penguins, you know, they just, it's just, it, there's the potential there. I've watched a bunch of the Penguins games, right? And there's often times where they're controlling the, uh, controlling the game. They just, they just, can't seem to get over the hump right now. And that was the case last year, right? Like, you watch the Penguins play a lot of the time last year, and you weren't like, this is a horrible team. They just, there's something missing there, and I don't know what it is. Uh, The Tampa Bay Lightning had a nice bounce back, and they shut out the Dallas Stars 4-0. So the Lightning recover and bounce back from that 8-1 loss to the Dallas Stars it's funny, Dallas. It's funny listening to Peter DeBoer after the game. He's like, we knew this was going to happen because anytime <laughs> you put it on a team like that. And it, they were in Tampa Bay. There was a big ceremony for Victor Hedman, who played in his 1,000th NHL game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Vasilevsky made 25 saves in the shutout. And then uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw his postgame media scrum. Did you see that? There was a uh, someone, someone, someone farted. Yeah, someone passed wind rather audibly, and it just he just couldn't keep it together after that. He was trying. God bless him. He was trying his best to just like power through it. Something I've done uh, poorly throughout my history on the air is just keep powering through it, right? Mm. But sometimes. A yeah. laugh. Yeah. Was it like a noticeable one? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got the audio in, of it. In we? very classic oh. Halford and Brough yeah. fashion. That's we funny. can't let like an accident. Low-hanging fart. fruit. Yeah. Let's it, get that. Is there a fart noise we can play in the All air? Right. Yes, let's yes, let's play is. it right now. That was a game, but... Um... <laughs> uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Uh, laddie. I got to ask you, and we're going to talk to Wish. Oh, I've never farted post-game. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Or pre-game. We're moving on from the fart. We're going to talk to Wish coming up in about 10 minutes to talk about the New Jersey Devils, maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins, and maybe the Board of Governors meetings. Um, But I have to ask you, because it's all I'm seeing on the Sportsnet website. It's a lot of what I'm seeing on social media. Do you believe the Toronto Blue Jays are truly in the race to land Otani? Uh, well, the report late last night, if you people didn't see you it people. or hear you people, uh, apparently Otani was in Dunedin meeting with the Jays yesterday. They took him to the fancy complex. It's That's real. That's how you it, sell. It's real. Whether he's just using the Jays to build up that <laughs> Do price. Do you want your spring training to be amazing? Well, yeah. he's re- he's rehabbing from Tommy John, right? It's a great training That's facility. True, they actually. just spent That's $100 million on yeah, it. Good so point. They, look, they point to the training complex and they say, that cost us $100 million, which is one-tenth of what we're going to pay you. <laughs> also, <laughs> Vladdy is spending the summer there. He probably got to meet up with Vladdy and pick his brain how the team's doing. Uh, again, I like I, I, I'm gonna. They're gonna make. They're gonna have the biggest off season in Major League Baseball history. They're gonna land Otani and Juan Soto. Mm, I think they're gonna. They're gonna spend all <laughs> the money that they possibly can. Atkins was pretty clear that it's. It. I think it's one of the two that they're hoping to get. That's yeah. that's a yeah. loser mentality. That's a loser <laughs> mentality. You got to shoot for the stars. And there's so, two of them here. I was looking up the odds on uh, where Otani's going to land, and the Dodgers at one book were minus 200, like Mm -hmm. the clear favorites, Mm -hmm. but the Jays had moved up to plus 200, and according to the sports books, 
it looks like a two-horse race between the Jays and the Dodgers. Now, something can, you know, we all, we've seen things. Things can change. Things can change, right? But do you happen to know when they're expected to make a decision on this? It's in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be It's, it's coming soon, up soon. But yeah, it's, yeah, coming it's not going to be like the length of the offseason type right. deal. It's going to be pretty quick. My next question is, how close does Otani get to the NHL's entire salary cap? As his yearly salary, I think maybe. he's going to get within a couple, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe of twenty all million the teams or so. Combined, I yeah, can see him getting that, yeah. So he's supposed to make a decision within the next week, and that was mm. yesterday, which was Monday. So I would not be surprised if this happens over the weekend, right? I could see it getting dragged out a little bit longer, but yeah. According, I saw the same thing you did. According to more sports books, it's a two horse race right now. Uh, we do need to talk about Monday Night Football really quick because the Jaguars not only lost to the Bengals in OT yesterday. They also might have lost Trevor Lawrence for an awfully long time. Uh, an ankle an injury. Long, it's, an, it's a sprained ankle, I think. He's going in for an MRI today, though. Okay. The x-ray said sprain, but they're going to figure out the damage, right? I mean, if mm. it's, I mean, I watched him come off the field, and I was like, Juan, why is there no cart to bring this guy off? Why does he have to walk off under the power of two people? Like, just cart him off like everybody else. Yeah. And then two, how long is he going to be out for? Because as ghoulish as it is, to start thinking about this in the wake of a what looked to be a pretty serious injury, Nathan Rourke is most likely going to be elevated from the practice roster to be the backup. In <laughs> so the many, so many Canadians were, were like cheering against CJ. Felt terrible. I felt terrible the whole time. It's like not only are we cheering, and you know what? He didn't get the job done, but Jake Browning did. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Eight o'clock on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound. Real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. To the phone lines we go, as the song suggests. Brendan Batchelor now on the Health and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Batch. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys? Good. Y'all excited for the Hughes Bowl this evening? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I was, you know, looking through some of the the historical information that we get from Sportsnet stats before a game like this, and there are only so many families who have had this happen to them, where they've had three brothers or three members of the same family play in the same game, and and only so many of those families not named Sutter as well. Right. So, pretty cool moment for the Hughes parents, I'm sure, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch tonight. Yeah, I mean, we were just uh, speaking about not necessarily the three brothers, but just how remarkable their seasons are collectively and individually. We were talking to Chris Peters and Greg Wyshynski, and they both brought up, like, you could have a Hart Trophy finalist, a Norris finalist, a Calder finalist, all in the same family, all on the same night, all playing in the same game. And, you know, with specific regards to Quinn Hughes' batch, and Jason and I were just talking about this prior to the break, can't quite put our finger on it as to exactly what it is, and there's probably no statistic or anything to quantify it. There's just something different about his game this year. Part of it is probably confidence. Part of it is probably something from leadership. Part of it's the ice time as well. But have you noticed that as well And watching this ascension to this candidate that Quinn Hughes, there's just something extra, I guess, for lack of a better term, about his game this year? Yeah, and you know, if there is a stat to quantify it, I think it's probably the goal scoring. Which, yeah, that's true. You know, he's right. He's already hit a career high in goals for a season, and it's what game twenty six tonight. Uh, I think he's been a lot more aggressive in terms of creating offense, and not creating offense in the way he did before with his tremendous passing and his elusive skating ability. But now using that skating ability to get into scoring areas himself and being more confident to release his shot and we've seen his shot improve and um so from an offensive perspective that's certainly an area where he's uh taken a, a noticeable leap in in his game but defensively too i think you know he's learning more all the time he's a guy that you know just from talking to him over the last few years 
prides himself on getting better every year, improving his game, and all the best players in the game are wired like that, and he's certainly one of them. And we've seen him level up to the point where you're right. I think everybody recognized him as a good young defenseman in the league before this year, but uh, most people around the league would probably have said, well, you know, Caleb McCarr is the cream of the crop, and Hughes is probably in the tier below that it's pretty clear that he's no longer in a tier below anyone, and he's one of the very best defensemen in the entire world at this point with the way he's playing right now and the way he's led this team this season too. Yeah, there's an assertiveness to his game, and I think yeah. your, your point about him getting to the scoring areas is important because a lot of people will just focus on his shot, which has improved. Like he's got a he's got a great shot, and I wouldn't have said that even last season. I would have said, okay, he's, he can get it on net sometimes, but it's more like, God, in in football words, it's almost like he's able to like get outside the pocket. And then skate downhill and get to those scoring areas. He's not just, in other words, he's not just flinging the puck on net. And I was actually a little bit worried when I heard him. It's like, I, I want to score more goals. I was like, well, I hope you have a plan for that because just shooting more isn't going to help the Canucks. But the way he's found those scoring areas certainly has. Yeah, and I think the the football analogy is a good one where, you know, it feels like he's a quarterback that can beat you with his legs now instead of just staying back that with you know it, it's kind of become a trademark goal of his where he gets down that left wing aggressively and then gets a shot from from wide there but he's able to pick the top corner on the far side like we've seen him wire that off the post and then a couple of different times against a couple of different goalies and um so that's something that you know i, I and Rick Tockett has spoken about this too. Like when you're a winger and you've got to go out against Quinn Hughes uh, to to the point and, and try and uh, limit him, he's just got so many tools in his arsenal that, you know, he, he can defer. Uh, he's a great passer, so he can find guys that, that are open. Uh, he can, you know, elude you with his skating ability and, and quickness and, and get down the wall himself and create offense. And I think that's, that's one area like, yes, the goals are, they're, they're great. But the thing that makes Quinn Hughes so great is that you never know which way he's going to beat you, but he's going to beat you. And he does it <laughs> routinely. And, and you know, with, you know, it's, it's interesting having Brett Festerling call some of the games with us here as a former NHL defenseman. Like, he will multiple times a night just be completely blown away by something that Hughes does. And this is a guy that, that played in the NHL and obviously was a different style of defenseman than Quinn Hughes was for sure. But, you know, we're, we're almost spoiled in Vancouver where it's, oh, there's Quinn Hughes again making, you know, going back to retrieve a puck in his own zone and eluding the forecheck and skating it out of his own end look like it's a walk in the park. But these are things that most defensemen in the NHL don't make look that easy. And then in the offensive zone, it's the same thing. You know, is he going to shoot it? Is he going to skate it down the wall? Is he going to spin away from you at the point and create himself a shooting lane or a passing lane where it looked like there wasn't one? These are all things that are, are routine for Quinn Hughes now. And it's pretty special to watch. And I think we probably need to take a moment and appreciate how how lucky we are here in Vancouver to watch Quinn Hughes do the things he does on a nightly basis. Yeah, we've only waited our entire lives for a defenseman like this in Vancouver. We should probably appreciate it <laughs> while we've got it. No, I, I appreciate it every night watching Quinn Hughes. I, I, I really do. He is he is a special player. Um, as for tonight's game, is it a pretty safe bet that special teams will be a factor? Yeah, I was going to say, the, the Devils are lethal on the power play, and we've been talking about the Canuck penalty kill in the last little bit is kind of coming back down to earth here. I think part of that is personnel-based when you look at, you know, Susie and Suter both being out of the lineup, and uh, even before they were out of the lineup, uh, Bluger was out of the lineup, so they've never really had all of their brand-new shiny PK toys in the lineup at the same time, but discipline has to be a key for the Canucks in this game tonight because New Jersey is so lethal on the power play and they've got so many weapons that can hurt you and they've got all sorts of scoring depth on their roster too um, that that either your penalty kill needs to have a really good night or you need to be really disciplined because that could cost you the game. And then, you know, conversely, the Canucks also, of course, have a great power play and, you know, it, it could end up being a game of, who can be more effective on their man advantages, who can be more lethal when they get the opportunity to go up a man, and, and that could decide who wins it tonight. Uh, the Canucks 
are starting a five-game homestand, New Jersey, Minnesota, Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, all in town over the next 10 days or so. No back-to-backs, which begs the question of how do you think uh, they'll deploy their goaltenders? We haven't seen Casey DeSmith since that loss to San Jose on November 25th. Yeah, I would imagine that we'll see DeSmith get at least one, if not two games on the homestand. I'm not 100% sure where they will get him in, but um, based on the fact that they haven't been afraid to you know, only use him in back-to-back situations, I would imagine he gets at least one of these games. And with only one back-to-back the rest of the month, you know, if, if they don't get him in here, then that's one game he's playing in the month of December, which... Um, you know, with the way they want to manage Demko's um, workload, I, I would expect that he'll probably get one game on this homestand. He'll certainly get one game on that four-game road trip, if not two, uh, because they have the, the back-to-back, but it's a, a four-game road trip overall. And you know, I'll be interested to see how DeSmith does. Not that his game, you know, was noticeably worse, let's say, in his last couple of games, but he had gone unbeaten in regulation until his last two starts, if I'm not mistaken, and now has lost a couple in a row. And uh, one of the big hallmarks of how well he played early in the year was that, you know, the team had confidence in him and played well in front of him as well. It wasn't just when Demko went in. And uh, so they need to continue to play confident in front of him and he needs to continue to earn that confidence behind them. Um, If I'm trying to pick games, maybe the Minnesota game on Thursday makes sense to get him in there. Um, you know, maybe against one of the, the Florida teams next week because they're not conference opponents. If you're looking at it that way, could make sense. And then you imagine he'll for sure either get the game in Minnesota on Saturday, December 16th, or in Chicago on Sunday, December 17th. Um, what else are you going to be looking for tonight? Uh, we can talk maybe a little bit about Elias Pettersson. Did you think he had a little more jump uh, against the Calgary Flames? Yeah, I did. Uh, Trending in the right direction, I would say. And I thought that line was pretty good with Lafferty there. Now, that's not necessarily going to be a long-term solution in the top six. But I thought, you know, in uh, in a limited sample size there, you know, Lafferty's a guy, he's a straight-ahead player, north-south player, as Rick Tockett would say, does a good job of getting to the net. And I thought Patterson was more on the inside, a little bit more effective in that regard. You know, him and Mikheyev are both there at the side of the goal for that puck that gets whacked in and then you know obviously he'll take the empty netter on the tip from Zadorov. that's not necessarily how you draw it up but any sort of offense for Pedersen you would imagine would help boost his confidence and um with the with the way the top six is currently constructed and I guess we'll wait and see if it remains that way tonight there's going to be more on his shoulders on that line without someone like Kuzmenko playing with him although you know, Lafferty, I think, has been effective in limited stretches, creating offense, too. But, um, you know, make no mistake, I don't think any of us are sitting here saying that Sam Lafferty is the answer to the, the top six winger problem they have right now. So mm-hmm. that puts more on Pedersen's shoulders. But then potentially um, not having Kuzmenko on his line, it could get him away from some matchups. And I think that's one of the benefits of uh, this homestand here is is Rick Tockett might be able to get Pedersen out in some more favorable situations to let him do his thing and, and try and get back to the form that we saw from him early in the year. Um, what does Nikita Zadorov need to do in order to just get ramped up as a member of the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, to me, the, the only thing, like I liked his game the other night in Calgary. I just thought that uh, in terms of some of the systems play or the reads he's supposed to make within that system. He looked like he was still finding his feet. And that's something that will only come with, you know, practice time and familiarity and, and doing video with the coaches and all of these things. So in many ways, it's a perfect time to acquire him because as you allude to five game homestand with no back to back. So they're going to have a lot of practice time over the next couple of weeks for him to get, you know, acclimated to the way that they play. But you know, other than that, I think he, he just raises the floor on what this blue line is capable of doing. You don't have to have both Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman in the lineup on a night-to-night basis. And once you get Susie back from injury, you know, assuming that everybody else stays healthy, you won't need to have either of those guys in the lineup on a night-to-night basis. So that's something that, you know, will will allow this blue line, I think, to improve as the season moves on. And for Zadorov, you know, 
I think his game is relatively simple in terms of what they expect of him. You know, be a big body that's hard to play against in the defensive zone. Use your physical presence. Lay the body where you get the opportunity. And then when you get the chance, move the puck up the ice and, you know, maybe get involved in the offense too. But um, I, I thought Zadorov was pretty good in his debut, except for a couple of things where I think you could tell that, you know, his read was not the read that they were supposed to do within the system, but that's something that'll just come with time. And I would expect him to even be noticeably better in that regard tonight already because of having had a chance to practice with the group over the last couple of days. So the Canucks had the day off yesterday. I assume a lot of them will probably hit the ice this morning. Do we know if there could be any lineup changes tonight? Uh, we don't yet, and I would expect not based on, you know, a trend where Rick Tockett generally speaking, keeps things together coming off uh, a win. I, I guess the only thing could be is if they're getting somebody back from injury, but we haven't seen Pew Suter at a practice yet. Uh, so and Patrick Alvin last week downgraded his status from day-to-day to week-to-week. So uh, I think that's a, a longer-term injury than they initially thought. Susie at this point, I don't think he's back till the new year or at the very least till after Christmas. So um, it's likely the guys they've got and I guess we'll see. They, they do have the option of, of bringing Di Giuseppe back in uh, up front, or they do have the option of swapping out Juleson and Friedman, I guess. But um, at this point, that's not what I would expect, and we'll find out more later this morning when the team takes the ice for the morning skate. We're speaking to Canucks radio play-by-play man Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I know, Batch, J- Jason and I have talked about this five-game homestand coming up and broken mm-hmm. it down in individual segments, but collectively, big picture, this is a really, really important stretch of the season for the Canucks for a variety of reasons. One, they haven't had a a homestand uh, of this length yet. I think the longest one so far was a three-game set. Five at home against good opponents, for sure, but ones that are vulnerable, especially, I think, in terms of uh, goals allowed. And it's also worth noting that like the Canucks are 8-2-1 and one on home ice this year. So given what yeah. they've done at home and then what they've got in these five games, this is a real opportunity to, to solidify the positioning in the standings and to make hay at home because they've been on the road quite a bit over the last little bit. Yeah, so and and not just that, but I think the entire schedule up to Christmas, including this homestand, is a big opportunity because even, you know, you look at that four-game road trip all against Central Division teams, a couple of teams lower down in the standings that you could be able to take advantage of. You got Minnesota twice the rest of this month. Uh, you got San Jose at home in the final game before the holiday break. And then yeah, lots of lots of time on home ice. Uh, against some good teams, you're right, you know, four Eastern Conference teams that, that are all capable of, of winning games on the road coming in. Uh, but, you know, in, in a lot of those cases, you'll be the more rested team. Uh, you, of course, get the last change, and we've seen how effective the Canucks have been on home ice. And I think the other thing to note is how good Thatcher Demko's numbers have been on home ice as opposed to on the road. He's been phenomenal at Rogers Arena, and I'm sure part of that is the performance of the group in front of him and um, you know, I, I, I never underrate the matchup game. I think it's a huge factor in how successful teams can be. But look, it, this is something the Canucks haven't had in past years. You know, they they struggled mightily on home ice last season in particular. And, you know, they were under a lot of pressure after the slow start they had. And, and the building wasn't always a great place to be on a lot of nights. So you can understand that. But um, you know, it's it's been a must, much more festive atmosphere inside Rogers Arena this year because of the way the team's playing, because of how much success they've had. And multiple guys in that room have talked about how much the crowd has given them a lift as well. So heading into the holiday season to have this many games on home ice and an opportunity to continue to push your way up the standings and try and extend your lead over some of the teams that are, you know, coming back into the picture and and starting to win games again like the win on Saturday over the Flames I thought was crucial in terms of of keeping them down and and behind you in the standings and although you look at this homestand and none of the none of the games excuse me are against divisional opponents if you can continue to rack up points and rack up wins it it only suits you you know well later in the season uh, that that cushion is as big as it possibly can be. And the more you can do now to create a bigger cushion, the better you're set up down the stretch, not just in terms of winning games and finishing as high as you can in the standings, but in terms of managing the minutes of some of your top players, managing the starts of your goaltenders. And, you know, it's interesting to, to look at 
uh, Canucks first half of the season or nearly first half of the season anyway, that's had a successful start and how when you have that successful start, there are so many other things that could fall into place for you in terms of how you can manage the second half of the season to continue to have success and build on the, you know, the start that you've had. And that's what I think we're seeing from the Canucks and a, a good homestand and a good month of December would go a long way in improving their ability to do that the rest of the way. Batch, thanks for this, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Make sure you get downtown early. It's going to be a bit chaotic and have a good call. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, Brendan Batchelor, Canucks radio play-by-play man here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I mentioned a short while ago that we're going to be doing what we learns coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You can get yours in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Jason learned something, apparently, and he wants to tell us about it now. Well, I learned, and I'm reading an article by Eric Engels at sportsnet.ca, that expansion was not a formal topic on the agenda of yesterday's Board of Governors meeting. We'll see if they get to it today um, or the matter of relocation. Um, but perhaps related to all this, mm. there was a report from Darren Drager that uh, the Arizona Coyotes are finalizing the purchase of a piece of land in Phoenix to build an arena. They're hoping to announce the project plans next month. Hmm. Now, hmm. we've been through this before <laughs> with the Coyotes. Fool, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me nine times. That's probably my bad. You won't get right? fooled. My name man. is Gary Bettman. Um, so we'll see where this goes. But, um, you know, the NHL has remained steadfast in its commitment to this market. Mm-hmm. And there's good reason for that. It's a huge market. And I actually do believe that if they get the arena done in the right place where people can go and it doesn't take forever to get there like it did for Glendale, you didn't have to deal with the traffic. Um, You know, eh, Drake's reports there's a piece of land in Phoenix. Okay, is that Phoenix proper or does he mean the greater Phoenix area? I don't know. Um, you know, the Phoenix Suns play in downtown Phoenix, and that's where the, the baseball team plays as well. So it's possible that this just could be in downtown Phoenix as opposed to a place like Scottsdale, for example, which would be awesome if they could build an arena there. That would be a fun place to visit. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder, you know, um, could the momentum from the Coyotes playing pretty well help if there has to be any public support for this? Um, the Coyotes do have potential just because they've got all these draft picks and they've got the cap space to do stuff. They've just been running on a shoestring because they don't have very high revenues right now because they're playing in a college arena. Um, But that is the latest. It's, I don't know if how much, you know, credibility you want to get, not credibility, but how much credence you want to give this because we've been down this road before with the Coyotes. You know, stretching back years and years, like, no, we got a piece of land, we got the plan, and then for whatever reason, it always seems to fall apart on the Coyotes. But that is the latest, and we'll see if either the Arizona Coyotes reps or Gary Bettman or Bill Daly addresses that today at the Board of Governors. Give me a moo cow on that. You can find a little howl there. Well... I learned that uh, our favorite name in college football could now be a Heisman Trophy winner, Michael Penix, a.k.a. Michael Penix Jr., uh, a Heisman finalist, four finalists. And it's great that the pomp and circumstance of the annual Heisman Trophy is out there and congrats to all the finalists, but it's going to Jaden Daniels. So I've never I can't remember the last time I've seen such a heavy Heavy betting favorite mm-hmm. for the Heisman. Usually, was he a there's a transfer guy. Was he at like ASU before? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so, and then I, he went to LSU and he had an unbelievable season. He had like 40 touchdowns and five interceptions. And you, you wonder where, like, the quarterback position in the mock draft, I have seen, for example, Michael Penix being a first round pick, like, and quite early. In some mock drafts, and I've seen some drafts where he's not even taken in the first, right? First so the, round. the g- general school of thought is that was it 
Jaden Daniels, Drake May, and Caleb Williams are going to be top 10 picks at the in the quarterback position. Caleb Williams is going first. Kyler, Caleb Williams will go yeah. first. Drake May sounds like uh, if the right team finishes at number two, that I mean one looking for a quarterback, like say the New England Patriots, he would be a pick there. And then Daniels. Now, you brought up something interesting in the notes here about the possibility of maybe Daniels going to the New Orleans Saints, another one of those teams that is pretty QB thirsty, like all due respect. I feel bad for what Derek Carter's had to go through this year because he's taken a beating. Yeah. He's been twice he's been in the concussion But he's not protocol. the answer. He's not the answer. No, but it's his first year on right? the job. Yeah, but 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 you and know, it, I, I don't I mean, don't get me wrong, his play hasn't been fantastic, but I feel like he's taken such a beating that you're never I don't think they're ever gonna get a sense of what he could be as their starter because they probably want to turn the page now anyway, especially with an LSU guy sitting there, right? Do you but, think the Seahawks will take a quarterback in the draft? Doesn't have to be in the first round, doesn't have to be in the second round. Do you think at the end of the day the Seahawks will finish their draft and they will have drafted a quarterback? I mean, does it count if they take one like the sixth or seventh yeah, round? Of course it counts. Yeah, I think they'll take literally a literally just said it doesn't have to be in the first I, round or the I second know, round. but there's a big difference between taking someone in the second and third or taking well, they can ba- end up with Brock Purdy. Bailey Zappi or whomever. Yeah, right? Brock Purdy. Um I do really wonder if they're gonna look around the league and see what might shake loose from current NFL teams. You know, there yeah, there are just, just like like what Kirk Cousins. Maybe? I'm not saying I approve of the move, but where mm. they're at and what I know of John Schneider and Pete Carroll, I wonder if it'll be. Do we take a look at Justin Fields? If, I'd have time for that. I'd have time for that. Do you take a look yeah. at Daniel Jones if the Giants decide? I would to move not on? have time for that. Do you want to take a one or two year flyer on Kirk Cousins as your quarterback? Mm. I mean, they're going to be there are going to be options, or just draft a guy and bring Geno back. Yeah, there there are going to be options out there. I just don't know. Outside of Fields, who I still think is intriguing, um, I don't know if I'd go through the NFL recycling program. There's a responsibility that the Seahawks have to bring in somebody capable, though, because look at their receiver core. It's too talented. Although last game was a step in the right direction. I thought they played incredibly well on offense against the Cowboys. Yeah, the the fourth downs kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah, but that's for three. That's a, that's a combination of desperate play calling, but play calling and execution. Big picture, Geno goes for four touchdowns. I think it was three in the air to Metcalf, and then one on the ground. Um, in a primetime game, I think for nine times out of ten, you're like, I, I will take that as a good performance. I was more impressed, to be honest, with what Shane Waldron did because I was having major concerns yeah. about his play calling. Now at the end of the game. Didn't love it. Didn't love the way that they executed down the stretch. I didn't love the play calling on that final drive. And I still think that there's a disconnect between what Geno can do mm-hmm. in terms of moving around and getting rid of the ball and what they're not calling protection wise. They don't they don't seem to have an they they don't seem to have a a consistent game plan. No. Like they still don't know what they want to be. And I think a lot of the problems have started with Kenneth Walker being out. Yeah. And I feel like the screen passing game could be more heavily utilized. And I know mm. Brady Henderson brings it up all the time when we yeah. have him on. It's like, where's the screen game? Where's the screen game? And it seems like when they do sort of get it going, they either get away from it or the guys don't have the ability to execute. And part of that, you're right, is because a of lot Walker. of it's blocking, right? Yeah. And, and Charbonnet's done an okay yeah. job. He's a rookie running back. He's still learning his craft. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.